Welcome to the Mom Powerment Podcast. This is the place where we help parents live a happy, healthy life with their kids, even when they are experiencing their most challenging behaviors. We're going to show you how to connect with your child and help them in their most difficult moments as we hear from experts in the field. I'm your host, Dr. Jakubowski, an international speaker, public school principal, and former struggling student. The Mom Powerment Podcast equips parents with science-based strategies to help you live a happy, healthy life with your kids. Welcome. Well, I'm excited to welcome to our episode today, Dr. Stasha Gomanak. Dr. Gomanak completed her neurology residency at Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston, practiced as general neurologist in the San Francisco Bay Area, then went on to Texas to concentrate on treating neurological illness by improving sleep. She published an article proposing that the global struggle with worsening sleep was linked to reduced sun exposure. She says, and I love this quote, see your doctor once a year, heal your body every night. Imagine a world, she says, filled with people pain-free, mental illness, anxiety, depression, and psychosis are things of the past. Medical illness is reduced, medication use is minimized, and I'm going to repeat this new phrase that I love. Dr. Gomenek says, see your doctor once a year, heal your body every night. Dr. Gomenek, welcome to our show. How can our listeners and I help ourselves and others live in this utopia world you just described and you say we can have it? So help us understand more, please. Hi, Karen, and thanks so much for inviting me. And I'm really thrilled to be talking to a population of parents and children um, because I think this is not only epidemic globally, but it is affecting our kids. Um, So what happened to me was I was practicing neurology, and then I wound up having one of my clients who had headaches ask for a sleep study. And I really didn't know much about sleep. I wasn't that interested. And I was kind of forced to send her for a sleep study. And her headaches went away after she put on a CPAP device. So she had one of those blow masks that blew air up her nose. I pictured those as a sort of torture device. I also picture headaches as having a chemical basis. I'm really into biochemistry. But in actual fact, this torture device made her headaches go away. And the only thing it was doing was allowing her to stay in deeper sleep. And to me, that was like... I just don't get this. I don't understand why that would be better. Uh, But it worked. And I also had 30 years of experience with using medicines for daily headache, and they always wear off. So there was a long travel there, a journey of five years using CPAP devices and sleeping meds. And I did about a thousand sleep studies in young, healthy females, teenagers, and kids who were seeing me for headaches and and then it's branched out into epilepsy and other things. But I was sending this population that was at the time not being studied. We were told it was fat necked males. Well, so I'm sending all these young, healthy females who've had a couple of kids and that's the only thing's wrong with them. And they don't turn out to usually have sleep apnea. They just don't have deep sleep. They don't get into what apparently is where we get the work done. So if they don't have these phases 
and they feel awful and can't remember and are cranky and in a bad mood. And we know that these deeper phases of sleep allow us to remember and make happy chemicals and feel good when we wake up. Then, well, why don't they have those phases? Because this population was much less sick than those elderly males, I picture now that they were really in early stages of what then 30 years later becomes severe sleep apnea. But what they actually showed on the sleep studies was no apnea. And then it took a while before I began to be taught by the person reading the test that, oh, but buried in the test is the fact that they don't have any of the good phases of sleep. They sleep, but they don't get the work done. That is not about breathing. That is about what the brain is doing. So that led me to think, well, the, this is really a neurology problem. This is happening in the brain. Therefore, it's really my responsibility. And oh, by the way, how come nobody's writing about this? Right. Like, it wasn't like I was went out to discover something. It was, where are the articles? Why do all these women have no rapid eye movement sleep? Why do these teenagers have no rapid eye movement sleep? Why does this teenager have no deep sleep at all? Why does this child have the wrong phases of sleep? Why does every single person who walks into my office when I do a sleep study, they're all abnormal? That can't be right. right. So I'm kind of put in a very difficult situation where now if I get them to sleep better and all I have at my fingertips are these weird torture devices if they have if they stop breathing. And I actually had little 12 year olds on CPAP. They were willing to do that. It was just mind boggling to me, but most people want to feel better. So I actually successfully treated 10, 11, and that's not that unusual now, but at the time it was weird. And then I got into sleeping pills because I had no other way. And surprisingly, even though they're not really what we want, they did better. And there's a general overarching concept maybe all of these diseases that are walking in the door are a failure of the body to repair itself in sleep. Mm. If I can see people who are like I'm on the weekends and I'm assigned to take the patients who are in the hospital and they have strokes and I picture them as being more severe and they have sleep apnea. Well, I don't want my teenagers to wind up there. I want them to be better and at the same time, there are all these things happening, like emergency room physicians calling me and saying, you know, I don't exactly know why I'm calling you, but I just saw the third kid with Bell's palsy in the last month. I don't remember ever seeing a child with Bell's palsy when I've been in practice for 20 years. It was quite obvious to me that diseases that have been, are old diseases that have been described in neurology are moving into younger and younger populations. So at that point, I'm thinking, okay, we have completely missed the boat here. I'm, I'm taught that the, disease, the, the body is created to fall apart. And then I'm taught to recognize this symptom gets this drug. But I'm not taught to think, gee, we were really created to be able to self-repair until we're about 75 years old. So we live for 75 years and then we die for 10. No, we start dying now right after we're born. Mm. Because I had been practicing for 30 years, I knew that in my high school, so I was, I was born near Stanford, I was born in San Francisco and then grew up in San Jose. My generation 
didn't have depression and suicide and autoimmune disease and allergies. And there are all these things that are considered to be normal now that those of us who are in the older generation are like, that's not normal. Why the hell did that happen just recently? And everybody's got that all over the place. So there are these, there's this a shift in the way we're thinking about. If you go to a party with other adults and you say, my kid wakes up three times at night and five other people in the room say, so does mine, that's the new normal. You don't even question that that's normal for kids. That's not normal. That was not normal. So I'm, I have this building level of unease. Something is happening. My training is the same as everybody else. Toxins, diets. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to answer this with the things that we've been told are affecting us. But I'm kind of dissatisfied because if I say toxins, bad habits, I can't intervene. Right. So if the person comes in and says, what about me personally? This is not a societal issue. This is me. I can't sleep. What do you say? How can I intervene by saying Roundup needs to be taken off the shelf? You know, so there are all these theories about, oh, it's your behavioral, et cetera. And after about five years, I'm sitting listening to people telling me their stories about not being able to sleep. So the very first thing that has to change is I have to be willing to listen to it. And I wasn't willing to listen to it before because all I got was CPAP device or sleeping pills. And we don't want those sleeping pills because they're dangerous. So the first step was I just sat and listened to all these stories. And I'm like, this is horrifying. All these people who have insomnia, they're completely ignored. If you say anything, if you say the word sleep with your doctor, what you get is go to the sleep doctor, get a sleep study that, you know, they're trained to just shut them off. There are no other questions. And with children, it turns out, once you start looking at their sleep studies, if you say, Natalie, how's your sleep? She always says, fine. They always say, fine. I'm looking at their sleep study and I can tell it's not fine. Mm -hmm. There are whole aspects of the sleep that's not being completed. And then I learned to ask mom, how many times do you have to get her up out of bed? Oh my God, she's not a morning person not a morning person, just like mom. Okay. So they can't get out of bed in the morning. And then I, so I learned that I ask and I sit and I listen that the kids can't get out of bed. And then as they transition through puberty, now they can't go to sleep. And now we say, Oh, it's their phone. It's their on the computer. No, normal kids fall asleep at nine 30 and drop their phone on their nose. You can't say that sleep is a voluntary activity. It's not. It's a completely automatic, completely run by chemicals. So now I'm listening to all this, and I'm like, this is creepy. Every single teenager in here can't go to sleep until 1 a.m. In fact, Stanford University has now published the new normal. Same place that did the original normals. The new normal is, oh, teenagers have a big uptick in their brain activity between 11 and 1. Therefore, we should move the school to starting at 10 a.m. Yes. Look how many studies there are that say the secondary schools should start. Yes. Yes. Not a bad idea. I like sleeping in. I'm big in favor of sleeping in. In fact, COVID has made a big improvement in sleep disorder because we don't have to get them up early. Now, the next question would be, what if you look at the original sleep studies that were done in the 60s? Same institution. Stanford was the place that started it. They don't show that. They show that we fall asleep at 930 and that we wake up at 6. The reason why the timing of opening businesses, of everything we do, 
around the globe is because humans have always been tied to when the sun comes up and when it goes down. We think that when we make artificial light, somehow that changes. It doesn't. Mm -hmm. And I was living during the time when there were artificial lights. We had street lights, but we didn't have sunscreen and we didn't have computers and we didn't have anything to do inside. And it was too damn hot to stay inside. So there are practices that have become normal. Even rural people now plow their fields with an air-conditioned tractor. So over a period of time, I'm looking at this guy who's this farmer, and I'm thinking, how can this guy have a low vitamin D? So one, I have all these ideas about why could this be happening? And then really pretty much by accident, I have this 18-year-old who has no deep sleep at all. She has daily headache, no deep sleep, and she sleeps for 10 solid hours. This is a typical teenager. 10 solid hours in bed, feels terrible when she wakes up, has daily headache. I'm looking inside her sleep going, whoa, this is terrible. She's going to have a stroke in 10 years. Because now I'm I'm into the fact that every single one of these pathways that we've drawn out, the, the stroke, heart attack, all these bad cancer, bad things, they all come back to not repairing the body. So she has a B12 deficiency. And the pivotal thing right there was I didn't have anybody else to, to teach me. So I'm down looking at these really nerdy articles about the cells that run sleep. Like, how do we fall asleep? What are those cells like? They turn out to be pacemaker cells like our heart. They beat at a certain rate since the time you're born. And they just keep beating all the time. And then they change their rhythm a little. And then they make a cha-cha. And then they do a tangle. And then they go back to this regular rhythm. And I'm reading these articles about dropping these chemicals on them and watching them do that. And I think, this is what my patients are doing in the middle of the night. And these are all chemical things. So I'm thinking about sleep on a cellular level, which is really weird. And she has a B12 deficiency. And I know nothing about that except to say, you know, I know B12 is used in the cell to do these important things. I don't know what they are. Okay. And then for the first time, I think, wow, what if she's deficient in this thing? And these little pacemakers, if they keep beating all the time, they can never say, hey, take it, buddy. I don't have what I need. Here, take over for me. No, they have to keep doing their job. So for the very first time, I think of sleep as potentially, instead of a toxin-induced or a behavioral problem, as a potentially a deficiency state. Like once you think of that, it's like, wow, that would be really cool. So I do B12 levels and all these people are seeing me who have sleep studies and they're taking sleeping pills and all this. And quite soon after the B12 comes up, somebody else says, hey, my doctor took my vitamin D. It was low. She gave me vitamin D and my wrist pain went away. And I think, well, I don't know anything about vitamin D, but I'm drawing in blood. Anyway, let's throw it in there. So I just happened to be doing this for four months in the fall. And it turns out the vitamin D is low in everyone. And then it turns out there's a whole literature about those nerdy little sleep switches, those little cells. Wow. And you know, everyone these days, it feels like my, 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 um, you know, my father's in the hospital. Oh, it was his vitamin D deficiency. This lady went to her doctor is telling everybody, check your vitamin D. Are you taking vitamin D? Like I've heard it so much in the last six, six to eight months. And then when I saw that you were saying, what did you, you wrote an article here, the world epidemic of sleep disorders is linked to vitamin D deficiency. And what do we need to know about this vitamin D that if we're not already taking it? taking it so that was in 2012 okay now 
It's very important to know that the reason why you don't see me up on the front page saying everybody needs to take vitamin D is because vitamin D is dangerous stuff. It can really mess people up and it can make terrible pain. Okay. So the important piece of this lecture is do not do vitamin D until you know what you're doing. You cannot dabble in this. You cannot just say, oh, you're going in and take vitamin D. That is what all of medicine is doing at the moment. And it is dangerous. And there's another piece that's the most important piece of this story. The second piece is, even though their vitamin Ds were low, and everybody who gets COVID who has a bad outcome has had a vitamin D that's low also. So it's completely relevant. But we don't get sick because the D is low. The D is supposed to be low in the winter. It was designed that way. It's made by the sun. That means it goes up in the summer, it goes down in the winter. It's not the D by itself ever that causes the sleep disorder. The D feeds the bugs in the belly. So D is a cofactor to make sure that you have the right microbiome. And it turns out that the core of this immunity, being able to fight off an infection and having the right immune system is all about the microbiome. So everybody who's sick, who has a sleep disorder, who has anything wrong with them, not only has D deficiency, but they've lost their microbiome. In order to get better, you have to know how to bring it back. And probiotics are not successful. They don't do anything. So you have to understand this other concept, which is the bugs that live inside us are another organ of the body. And normal humans are walking around. They look normal. All your kids look normal. They have all the right arms and legs and head. But if they don't have that organ, then they are at huge risk for not being able to fight infection, to have autoimmune disease that includes allergies, eczema, asthma, and not being able to fight off an autoimmune disease as they get older. And then there are a whole bunch of other things that are attached to that. So what I learned was as I gave vitamin D, our sleep got better and then it got worse again. And then it got really terrible and then we got pain. So the next piece was an accidental find from one of my patients who brought in a book that was about the B vitamins. I'll shorten it dramatically. The answer to bringing back the microbiome is to know that there are four main phyla or groups of bacteria that are supposed to be there. They do not care about us. They are just there as a four pack because they trade vitamins with each other. They happen to make at least one of the B vitamins and they need several other ones that come from their buddies. This four pack has existed on this planet for billions of years. They were here for a very long time, feeding each other these B vitamins before our humans started to be very busy and study things and think they're smart and found these B vitamins. Once we found them, then we made up all these rules about them and we made up stories about them. And in actual fact, the bees do not come from the food. And in fact, as we wash our food more and more, we become more focused on cleanliness. We wash off the bacteria that's on the outside of the food that used to provide the vitamins for mm. us. So there's a basic concept, which is in order to get back those four guys in your belly, you need to do two things. You need to feed them D because they are hooked into the D that we make, but you also need to recreate the B vitamin soup that they used to make. So the four good guys are usually supposed to be down there making these bees, 
if you make your belly contents a little petri dish and you provide all the good guys what they need, then because you favored them, they rapidly grow back. It only takes three months. You get a D over 40 and B50 in an adult. You get that combination together, like a little petri dish. They all grow back. They're all happily down there making bees now. And the next concept is B vitamins can hurt you. B vitamins can make you unable to sleep. They can give you pain. So when your microbiome is not there making the right amount, then you can get all sorts of bad things. But when you're taking the bees and you have a normal microbiome, you get double the dose and things fall apart again. So there's a basic concept in the background, which is every single animal on this planet has these bugs inside and these bugs are what are sending their vitamins to them. We are no different than any other animal. We are the only stupid ones that go down to GNC and buy the vitamins, okay? And we think because we make up these stories that we're really smart, but we're not. You have to look at it in an evolutionary way and say, okay, these supplements are really good if they bring back the right bugs. But as soon as we have evidence that they're back, we stop this extra stuff and we go on without them. So there's a complexity to this that means I don't just say, hey, to keep COVID away, you just take 2,000 a day a day. It's dangerous to start on that because people will stay on 2,000 a day and four years later, their D level is really high and they have agonizing pain and they don't know why. It's four years after they started D. They would never connect the two. Their doctor's not gonna connect the two. Their doctors can't even get their head around the fact that D and the microbiome are about sleep yet. They can't catch that idea. So it is a complex set of ideas. Now, having said that, I have resources for you on my website that make it simpler, okay? This is complicated. I wanna warn you, you don't wanna dabble around the vitamins. You wanna find out a little bit more about them. You understand the ideas, but I also have a roadmap for you, okay? So I not only have a roadmap for adults, it's called a workbook, but I now have some videos that will help you with some special categories. Like what if I wanna get pregnant? Because vitamin D deficiency is all about infertility. What if I want to have a baby and take vitamin D and these bees while my baby's inside me? What if I want to be able to trade my breast milk with my baby? How do I manage that? So we have one set of videos that's about fertility, pregnancy in the first year. And then I have another set of videos that are about how to do this program safely with your kids based on what age group they're in. Yeah. Because I have a lot of information about, I have at least 8,000 people who have gone through this amount of D. Every single human needs a different D dose. That's mm. really important. You mm. cannot just say, hey, what dose should I take? It's not, it's like saying, oh, well, Karen, I think that complaint about your sleep, I think that's about thyroid. So why don't you go down to CVS and buy some thyroid and I'll see you back in a year and we'll see how you're doing. Mm. That's the way D is treated. Lay people know that, wait a minute, you just told me it was thyroid. Aren't you supposed to do my blood level? And then aren't you supposed to give me some pills and then I come back and get my blood tested again and make sure it's okay? Because most of us, if you get, you know, into your 20s or 30, you know, too much thyroid and too little thyroid, you're screwed up on both ends. That's the way it is with every single hormone. D is a hormone just like those. That means, unfortunately, the people who are listening to this podcast know more accurate information about vitamin D than your doctor. 
Your doctor is being trained that it's still a vitamin. Yes, they'll tell you it's really a hormone. But what they will answer is, one, I don't want to do a D-level because we don't know what to do with it. And everybody's low anyway. And why don't you just take 2000 and get out of my office and stop bugging me? It's not because they're uncaring or stupid. It's because the clinical trials that the clinician is using are done without very much thought. And that's, it's a tragedy because now vitamin D is on every front page. Yeah. That means, you know, 500 million Americans are going to now start taking vitamin D. Yeah. Now they'll feel a little better for a while. And it's not a bad idea to start taking it because it will improve. It'll improve your deficiency. And because nearly 80% of the population is deficient, depending on, depends a lot on who, who's the, quote unquote expert that you use or where well, we is what's be. critical to not play around with. And I'm glad you bring up that point because how do we know when someone says, Oh, do 5,000 ICUs and, and they're there. Everyone, you know, is just, you know, popping the pill. So let's go back for a minute. So let's say a listener is listening and they're like, okay, how do I know if I got into my deep sleep or not? Like, is there something I would notice or something I would notice about my kid that would tell me they are, or they aren't. So for a kid, the first question is, is your kid completely healthy, no allergies, no tubes in the ears, no nasal congestion, doesn't wake up in the middle of the night, wakes up at 6 a.m. and is wide awake and smiling before you walk in there in the morning, has no problems with education, gets into no problems, in fact, is solving problems in the classroom, your kid should not be on vitamin D or the other vitamins. On the other hand, if your kid wakes up in the middle of the night, if your kid wakes up and gets in your bed in the middle of the night, if your kid has leg pain when they wake up, if you can't get them out of bed in the morning, if they're cranky, and some of these things, once I list them, you've seen them seasonally, but you didn't recognize it. They look so good in October and September, and you're like, that's wonderful. They've been off now, it's everything's screwed up because they're off for the you know for months at a time. But oh, over the summer they did so well. They're happy, they're content. We think of it as, oh, he didn't have to get enough for school, and that's in fact the case. Because the D is low enough that when the D is down around 40, we were biologically made for that message to mean, hey, let's sleep for 14 hours. Because what you really got out in the wild is it's me and my husband and another two wives and 18 kids in that teepee. We're in the snow. We're set there for four months. There's one piece of dried meat per week. You better sleep for 18 hours or we're going to kill each other and we don't have enough food. We're hibernating. So the D says, why don't you sleep for 14 hours? Well, in any kid or teenager who can sleep for 14 hours, they do fine. Well, how the hell are you supposed to live a modern life and sleep 14 hours? Okay, so that means if your kid wakes up rested and happy at 6 a.m. ready to go to elementary school, no problem. But if it's not like that, if your kid has already had medical problems, if they have reflux, reflux as an infant, they have all these things that we think are the new normal, they weren't supposed to have anything wrong with them. That means I could then say, well, these are three medical problems and here are the pills. Or I could say, you know, it could be that your kid isn't sleeping very well and their actual microbiome isn't right. And if we fix these both, your child will fall into these phases of deep sleep and wake up and look like really normal. Mm. One of the hardest parts is recognizing that your kid is not normal. Yeah. Well, especially if you have kids that you don't mix with other kids and hear their stories that you, 
how else are you supposed to think but what your child is doing is normal? But what about, so what about a, a teenager who we all know sleep till noon and that's the norm. And we all know, like, of course you got a teenager though, obviously, yeah, that's okay. So tell us about that. Every age group, I've actually quoted for you what the normal should be okay. because Perfect. we don't really know. No. Okay. And that's based in studies that were done in the sixties and seventies. Okay. So here's the normal. Okay. Now in a teenager, what we've been taught is it's normal for teenagers to not be able to fall asleep at night. That's not normal. That's a D deficient kid. That's a D deficient kid with the raw microbiome. Wait, so, and, and you're also saying that it's not because they have a technical technological no, device in their hand, right? Because no. how about the precaution of, oh, parents take your kid off screen time an hour before they go to sleep, right? Even I have said that. Yeah. If it worked, then we wouldn't have this conversation. It didn't work. Okay. I can just tell you, it's still good to take it away from them because there is still really good literature about blue light, about blue light keeping us awake, et cetera, okay? okay? So right. if you've taken it away and your kid can fall asleep at 930, we don't have a conversation. But if you've taken it all away and we've had all these arguments about it and the kid is saying, look, I don't have anything to do. I'm lying in there until 1 a.m. and I can't fall asleep. They're not just being difficult. There is There's, a chemical problem, the problem in the background. So it's not that blue light, computer time, screen time. If you're a, an attentive parent and you've already listened to all that and you have the blue blocker on the phone and on the computer and you're still having problems, then this is the place to go. Okay. As you think about, there's a chemical problem that has made that child's sleep clock shift later and that that's not normal and you can actually fix it. And frankly, until I had these vitamins in my hands, and started to give it, so keep in mind, I'm treating kids with epilepsy and with, with headache and ticks and Tourette's and all this stuff. And I'm doing my routine thing. And then I think, well, what would happen if we test their D level? And what would happen now if we had this, these bees and we get their microbiome? It was like a miracle. I could take the medicines away. The epilepsy goes away and then I can take the medicines away and the epilepsy doesn't come back. And then I can take the medicines for Tourette's away and it doesn't come even back. for and you, even for anxiety and depression. Oh, yeah. All of all of the emotional disorders, especially in children, are related to not making the neurochemicals that they need. We, we don't have any control over the mood we wake up in. You know, you wake up in a happy mood or in a sad mood or in an anxious mood. Anxiety is so common in our children. It's directly related to these chemicals that the bugs are making, directly related. So you watch those things go away. And it wasn't like I had a whole list of things. Okay, let's take some vitamins. I'm going to fix all this stuff. I mean, I don't even like vitamins. I don't know. You know, I didn't think of it that way. What really yeah. happened was I'm focusing on sleep. I'm desperate because I know the sleeping pills are not what any of us want. They don't really work. They don't continue to work. And even my patients who are wearing the CPAP devices are slowly getting worse in the background. We're doing things that are patching the holes, but there's a disease that's continuing to worsen in the background. So I start doing these things with everybody who walks in, who will let me do a sleep study. And I start doing this stuff mm. and they come back and like the bedwetting is gone and they're in bedwetting, bedwetting, wait, bedwetting. Tell me more about that. When I saw yeah, that, I was I like, you gotta be kidding me. I can't promise you that the bedwetting will go away with my program by itself. I believe that it really does take some other things like iron and it takes maybe some medicines, but bedwetting is a disorder of 
not being able to control the amount of urine that's made and staying deeply asleep. So when they transition into teens, what happens is they start to get up from bed and go pee, but that's still not normal. It is not normal for anybody to get up after they fall asleep at night and go pee. Because we, we think have, it's anxiety. We get worried oh, and stressed that, oh my gosh, no. what is my kid struggling with that is making them no. wet the bed? No, it is completely involuntary. It is a chemical basis. I cannot say that I have the answer to bedwetting, but I can tell you that in certain circumstances, the patient would come back. I was not treating them for bedwetting. I was treating them for whatever, for epilepsy or whatever. And then we do this on top of it and they come back and say, and you know what? His bedwetting has gone away. And I'm like, wow. that's really weird. The other important thing is I have all these observations in adults. So I've got these, you know, 85 year old guys who are coming in and I'm trying to convince them they have a sleep disorder. They say, well, of course I have a sleep disorder. I get it to pee every hour. And I'm like, okay, but I also know you have sleep apnea. So I send you off to the pulmonologist. He gives them a sleeping pill. He puts the mask on. They go to bed and they don't wake up all night. Wow. And they don't pee the bed. Come on. That means it's not about, oh, my bladder is full. It's wow. much more complicated than that. Wow. So it's bedwetting still has some resistant aspects to it, but okay. there's still a chemical basis for it. The other important thing about that is, remember I told you the little kids can't wake up. They're just tired and cranky in the morning. They're not a morning person. They all transition then through puberty to, I can't fall asleep. That means there's some additional chemical pressure that's keeping the kids asleep until they go through puberty. There's some additional chemical that I don't know what it is, but they have so many things they're supposed to do. They're supposed to grow. They're supposed to remember all the new stuff. They have to do everything that we as adults do, plus 50 or 100% more. Therefore, there seems to be another system that starts to go away when we stop growing. And that's related in some way. So that chemical pressure is keeping your kid asleep. Mm. While at the same time, their hormonal control of how much urine they make, we make a hormone called antidiuretic hormone. It turns off the kidney while we're sleeping. We also turn off our bowel movements and our hunger so that we have eight protected hours where these internal drives are quieted wow. so that we have eight hours to repair. And then kids may even be 10. That means if he can't get into deep sleep, he doesn't make antidiuretic hormone. Therefore, the volume of urine is still more. Okay. So there are several different chemical aspects. The one chemical that was successful is amipramine. That's in all the books that, you know, for treatment of it. And that has some special actions that probably have to do with firing rates and all this other stuff. So going on, there were all these things that walked in the office that got better that I was like, what the hell? Wow. How did that get better? Right? It's all like a miracle. That. Yeah. And all, all different things. things. Yeah. They're all genetic things. Now, wow. in the background, over a period of years, I begin to realize, you know, I don't have any kids with syphilis or tuberculosis or polio or scarlet fever or diphtheria or neurologic complications of measles or tuberculosis of the spine. There are all these things that would have come into a neurologist's office in 1910. Mm. They're all gone. They're gone. Medicine has actually gotten rid of them. So what do I see as a neurologist? I see daily headache. I see anxiety. I see ticks. I see anger. I see things where the kid is just like crazy. 
autism, ADHD. These are all things that have a developmental basis. They show up at a certain time. They have a chemical background. They have a genetic background and I'm giving drugs for them. But what if we thought about it in terms of, gee, this kid that develops ADHD, yeah, his dad has that too, but can we look at that in a different way? Is this a chemical disorder? And it turns out when you look deeply into it, all of these disorders have an attachment to a chemical called acetylcholine. Acetylcholine deficiency disorders is gonna be like the most important collection of things for the next 10 years. Our immune system is attached to acetylcholine. Our autonomic nervous system that does heart rate, anxiety, that is attached to this chemical. We have imaging imaging uh, studies now that show ADHD kids have lower acetylcholine levels in their frontal lobes. That's what we use to concentrate. They don't have it. Well, how come they don't have it? It turns out the raw material to make it comes from the bugs. You lose your bugs. Oh, wow. Yeah. So this is a totally new concept. The fact that if you lose your microbiome, you lose one of the pivotal neurotransmitters that runs our ability to focus, our ability to get into and stay in sleep, our ability to get paralyzed in sleep, and our anxiety level during the day. So if you take it one step further, the ADHD kid can't concentrate. But if you look at anxiety, it's the same thing. Oddly enough, we have no drugs for acetylcholine. Only one, nicotine. Nicotine is what we use to study nerves in the first place. So when I learned pharmacology, we're studying experiments that were done in 1910, 2030, looking at a nerve cell and a long arm and these little chemicals that are released. There are nicotinic acetylcholine receptors. Why would they be called that? Because that's the drug they use to determine that receptor is different than this one it's called a muscarinic. Now, I read these articles about that are being published by the neuroscientists, and they say, gee, acetylcholine, nicotinic receptors, this is what's wrong with ADHD kids. But we're not giving them that chemical. We're giving them methamphetamine. We're giving them something different. Why would we do that? And I'm thinking, oh, yeah, like I'm going to convince all my moms to let their kid go out and smoke in recess, okay? No, it's not going to happen. You know what? There are actually now clinical trials of nicotine patches in kids with autism, adults with autism. And now, does that mean I should let my kids smoke? No. It means that the weird part of this whole story is we haven't had any drugs for acetylcholine. We now have lots of studies that show that the acetylcholine levels both below the neck and in the brain are low, but we haven't quite figured out that it's connected to the fact that the bugs are wrong. The bugs were always the source of the raw material called pantothenic acid that goes up into the brain and is used to make acetylcholine. And, and if the bugs, out, yeah, so if the bugs are correct, you're saying your body will go to the deep sleep where it heals itself of all of these, what we see as ADHD, anxiety, et cetera. Yeah. Oh, but this is, okay, I have to read one thing because I want our listeners to listen to this, what, what you have on your website. Um, so I came across your blog post titled how autism is linked to insufficient deep sleep. And I was like, get out. No, one's going to believe this. I have just, um, I just, so I, sorry, I'm reading my notes. I just have to read this line in the article. Yes, here it is given back enough time in deep sleep. 
and the necessary raw materials, D and B vitamins, the brain can make up for the deep sleep that it missed and develop normal social skills, even into the teens and early twenties. And I'm like, get out. This can't be true. <laughs> yeah, let me give you a couple. No one's going to believe this. Go yeah, ahead. I, Go I, ahead. Tell us more. I can't okay. wait. So I'm going to give you a clinical example, and then I'm going to give you the science that's behind it now, because it's for autism, it's multi-layered, but it explains a lot of things that the parents observe. Okay, so first, as I told you, it's not like I think, oh, vitamins are going to cure everything. I really did think vitamin D was going to cure everything. And then I got a the big awakening, which was, damn, this stuff is dangerous. And, and so be respectful of, of biology. So I start to do this B50 stuff that brings back the microbiome. And now I'm doing this recipe with everybody who walks in the door. You're going to take a multivitamin. You're going to get your D's tested. You're going to take D. We're going to do this B50. You're going to stop it in three months. And I do that with everybody who comes in and will let me. And then I watch what happens. So I've got this one kid who's about 16. He's now back in, in public school, but he was bullied a lot in junior high because he looks like the typical television computer geek. He's got kind of a fat butt. He's masculinizing normally. So he has a, a ability to grow a beard. It's not, he's not a girl, but his fingers are a little feminine and they just look a little funny. And he just looks like, you know, one of the geeky kids and he's a little fat and he's a little autistic. And he knows that now we're so informed that he knows that he is socially awkward to an extent. So mom says, well, we're not here for that. We're here for his headaches. And then we get into the story and he says, you know, I've never slept. Like I was awake in the middle of the night when I was like, I don't know, four or five. And she goes, what? You are not. And, and he says, yeah, I, that, that was his normal. Why would he report that? Okay. So there's the, the, all these interesting things that come up that mom feels that she's not a good parent, but in actual fact, he is doing the only thing his body can do. So he starts on this program. We're doing all this stuff. He's seeing me for headaches and we're doing other things at the same time. But six or eight months later, she comes in and he's starting to look really different. Wow. And it's hard to describe, but he no longer. So is he's already normally masculinized. So his voice is lower, but he's starting to look like his shoulders are wider. His hips are smaller. He just carries himself differently. And I'd seen this in a couple of my other daily headache sufferers who had already been tested and seen to have low testosterone. Wow. So by that time I was like, Oh, I completely missed this. These teenagers do not have normal testosterone levels. So in the girls, they're not menstruating and they have terrible painful periods, but in the boys, they're not masculinizing normally. So he walks in and starting to look different. I'm like, Damn, this kid is starting to look, he's not like geeky anymore. And there are these things, features about the, the physical look of people that we now think it's normal. So the reason why I use that computer geek is these kids are all over the television, all over the movies. We think they're just like one of the normals. Okay. They're kind of in between male and female to some extent. They don't look. In, so then the, what mom says to me, which was the thing that made the difference for her. She said last week, I took Brandon to school. I dropped him off. He got out of the car. I said, Brandon, I hope you have a good day today. And he turned around and said, thanks, mom. I hope you do too. <laughs> so she said, no, you have no idea. The most I've ever gotten out of this kid in that situation was a grunt. Wow. No acknowledgement, no answer back. 
she's and this gal was developed enough in what she was looking for that she had seen subtle things that were bringing him more toward Amazing. a social norm okay Amazing. now that is that means that's a that's a move in a kid who already's a teen we know teenagers are rude and difficult okay? yes no we think that's normal that means that's a move in a teenager who has had these features for the whole time now there's another really important one which is we as a neuro, as neurologists we're trained about mental retardation or challenges or whatever you want to call it over a long span of time and Basically, you get to know these kids really well. They have, you know, developmental delays. Sometimes they can't read, can't speak, whatever. Once they get to be teenagers or 20s, we think of them as static. Like, it's going to always be that way, all right? That's not true. Because I have one kid who walked in with a helmet. He was having continuous seizures. Walks funny, can't understand him. Mom can kind of understand him. But over a 10-year span, first I begin to realize that I never paid attention to kids that have epilepsy in their sleep because they're always tired because I'm giving them their sleeping pills. Okay. I'm giving them these seizure medicines and they always look dopey. So I don't ask them about that. And slowly over time, I realized this kid, when he can finally be understood, which later he can be understood, can tell you he's also awake in the middle of the night. since wow. the beginning. He ended up on 20,000 IUs of D for years. Wow. Years. And I, because he was so much better, I couldn't get the mom to come back very often. And I would always be like, are you sure you're giving that? So she was really giving it, but wow. he was so deficient. So he ultimately walks in with like a cowboy hat and a little goatee. And I'm like, mom, I can understand Wesley now. Do you think you can understand her? She's like, yeah, I can understand. He makes jokes. He's, you know, so one, I now believe that there is not a static brain state. In children and probably in young adults and even in adults, mm -hmm. if you get them back into sleep, the brain knows what to do. So there's one other really important piece. We have all this whole population that has seen their kid be normal to age, whatever, three. And then we give them immunizations and then they go completely berserk. Okay. The anti-vaxxers are now left with my government took my kid away. What do you do once you have that? All you can do is be horribly angry. Right. And okay, now let's just say that instead I say, you know what? When you were pregnant with this kid, your D was really low. And then you're giving breast milk and you don't have enough D going into the kid to establish this microbiome. So your child was born without this important organ in the body. And their immune system is absolutely not normal. Okay. The you mom. take all the immunizations that were perfectly designed from the 1940s through 1980. My generation and two generations around me received these immunizations with no problem. Okay. We didn't also have peanut allergies and tubes in the early. Right. Neither okay, did we now, as a kid. Yeah. Now that means the immunizations are unchanged, but the people you're injecting it into okay. are not normal humans. All okay? right. I, that I hear means you. you. Take a kid who has an abnormal immune system. And you inject them with this immunization. And in fact, their immune system goes berserk. Mm. At the same time, they have multi-layered other issues. It's not ever just the immune system. Their sleep is also disordered. They all have sleep disorders. Wow. What we say is autism gives you the sleep disorder. No, the sleep disorder produces the autism. And here's a little bit more depth. Last year, for the first time, 
So there are, let me say this, there are imaging procedures and, and studies that show that kids with autism have lower acetylcholine levels than they should have in their brain. Okay. There are also now studies that show that cannabinoids in autistic mice, they actually have mice models, they show that the cannabinoids are not there in the right way. We'll get, we'll talk about cannabinoids more, more, but the cannabinoids that we've named as, oh, they're like cannabis, like this plant. No, they're real neurotransmitters. They're neurotransmitters that we use in our body. The reason why humans react to them the way they do is that they're already in there doing things. It turns out the cannabinoids are all about development, mood, um, sleep, appetite, inflammation. It turns out now that we have studies that show that if you lower the vitamin D supply to a mouse, and then you look at what the microbiome results, some of the species that need the D go away. Those species provide the building blocks that go into the mouse and make the endocannabinoids. So in this particular article, they went low D, change the bugs, bugs make the building blocks that go into the nervous system. And they actually tested the mouse mm -hmm. spinal cord pain system to show that their pain system was totally disrupted. So what are the characteristics for autistic kids? They get discomfort from normal things touching their body. They can't be still. They have anxiety. They can't sleep. They can't learn. And do they have always a bad belly? Yeah. So all of these things are there and they're all reversible. They are not permanent. That's incredible. The way that you get there is to understand that vitamins don't cure anybody, nor does CBD. They are tools. They are building blocks. We give them back. And then we watch until so your the sleep body gets can perfect. Okay. Can then when the sleep gets perfect, then if it starts to get goofed up again, we think, oh, these could help the sleep, but they could also hurt the sleep. You think of it in a totally different way. You mm. think I need support until my kid's sleep becomes perfect. And how do I tell? You have to tell them about it because every single day, even with a normal kid is a new day. You don't yeah. know what's going to happen tomorrow. Right. It's new. Every single day, learn things. That's just, it makes it triply or quadruply hard for the autistic kid because in my program, in a kid who has is cranky, who has a hard time getting up in the morning and has a runny nose, okay, and they snore. You just do this program and they get better. You can't do that in a kid who has autism. His body is so unaccustomed to having the normal chemistry. For years. Because it's been years. Back, in little tiny dribs and drabs, okay. watch what happens and add one thing at a time. So you have to think of it in a, in a totally different way. Oh. The end point is still the same. Oh. I know it is because I've had success with it. Wow. I haven't yet got to the videos for the autistic kids, mm -hmm. but I can tell you most of the things that walk in the door in neurology are genetic tendencies. And that means if my kid could do fine until this age or my adult patient is coming in, never having had headaches until she was 32. And I tell you, it's a genetic mutation that causes that. Okay, then I've had that since I popped out, right? Why do I have it at 32? Right? I mean, your body was able to heal that genetic weakness by making some chemicals. And oh, by the way, have you had trouble with sleep since you were 22? Yeah. So now 10 years of sleep deprivation leads to the brain can no longer shore up that weakness. Now I manifest whatever that genetic thing is. 
And the irony is we've gotten so far ahead in genetics and we missed this, this central pillar, how to get the microbiome back and what happens when the microbiome's wrong. Now there's huge literature every day. There's another one. I get, I get these things all the time. Now there's really nice connection. I just got an article that says bugs make B vitamins and they affect the sleep. Wasn't the B5. It's not the most important one, but at least somebody is willing to say, oh, the bugs make bees. The bees make the neurotransmitters. This is connect the dots. You get to the sleep. This is really important that scientists are starting to do these connect the dots in this way it means our parents and our kids have this as a as a resource to put stuff back together well more parents need to hear about this because these are common everyday uh, issues of anxiety and depression autism adhd the numbers just keep rising and 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 that's one one of the areas where we just we lump it into the mental health needs of the kids are just on a rise. But I think it is so critical um, what you're highlighting and pointing out here. And I'm so, so grateful to bring you on this episode. We're going to have to have you back to share more. Um, but how can anybody find you or um, follow you? Right now I have a website. Uh, it's Dr. Gomenak, D-R, no period, D-R Gomenak. And I'm the only Gomanac on the planet. So if you get in something like that, like Gomaflaji or Gomawijawaji and vitamin D, I pop up. Okay. So Great. Um, drgomanac.com. I would really recommend that you, when you listen to this podcast, spend some time listening to other interviews that are on the site, read more about it. As I said, I have some videos you can buy. The workbook that I have is the how to. It is not the why. I personally feel that the why is really important. Now, there are a lot of ideas here, so it takes a while to get them all digested, but the workbook is your path for a whole year of what to do with your kid or yourself to get your sleep back. I also work with people individually on a one-on-one, -on -one. and if you just want to say, what about this? I have this, these specific things. What do you think about that? There's a, just a single half an hour appointment, and you make that under a place that called Work Together. Right. Then I have other programs where you can work with me for the whole year. So it depends on what the problem is and how uh, invested you are in doing that. So those yeah. are all available on the website. Thank you so much. And I'll put the links to your website in the description of the notes of this um, episode as well. And so for those of you who are listening, we have covered a lot of different things, but if your child struggles with bedwetting, anxiety, depression, if you know people who say, well, I'm just not a morning person or my child has difficulty falling asleep, no matter what sleep challenge you might experience or someone you know experiencing, there is hope for you. And Dr. Gomanak, thank you so much for joining us. And I can't wait to have you back on the show again. Thanks for inviting me. It was my pleasure. Well, that's all we've got for this episode of the Mom Powerment Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. I can't wait to help you live a happier, healthier life with your kids. Click subscribe today, and we can't wait to have you join us on our next episode. Thanks again. And remember, don't worry, be happy. Hey there, it's Karin. I hope that you're enjoying the show. And by the way, if you're a mom who wants to learn how to help your child when they're struggling behaviorally or facing challenges in school, get started today by getting my free short video course on first steps to mom empowerment. 
go to www.educationalimpactacademy.com forward slash free video. If you're new here or you haven't done this yet, this is definitely the first step to get started in learning how to have a happy life and healthy life with your kids. So head on over to www.educationalimpactacademy.com forward slash free video and grab your free gift today.